if all of us globally reduce our meat consumption by half, that is equivalent to um, taking away the entire transportation industry for nine years. So that is like all transportation, like planes, cars, whatnot, like, and that's just how, wow, how impactful. Yeah. And you, you don't have to even take away meat. You just reduce it by half. That's the impact it will have. So I think the reason I wanted to say that is just because a lot of time people think that one meal doesn't matter, one individual doesn't matter. That is true. Um, that's why like kind of climate change is a global collective fight. It's, it's everyone's effort together. So yeah, just do not, do not think that your individual action don't matter because they add up. That was Iris, a product manager at Google X who's had a really interesting path to product. Today's convo goes over her career path through venture capital, investment banking, and how she eventually fell in love with solving problems through product. She's also a bit of a serial entrepreneur, so we go through some of the social good companies she's founded, including OpenMeal, a food donation app that operates as DoorDash for people in need. Lots of great product insights and career tips ahead, so we hope you guys will enjoy this one. You are now listening to the Next Iteration Podcast with your hosts Fuad and Damien. If you liked the episode, follow us on Spotify and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Our website was built by Face Solutions, logo designed by Charmeni, and music by Wonderly Music. We hope you enjoy the episode. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for having me. Super excited to talk. Oh, man. It was a, a bit of a rabbit hole we went down when we were trying to prep for the episode, you know, diving into a bit of your background and things you've been up to. And I just had to say, wow, like it's just, we were stunned at the amount that you were able to accomplish in such a short amount of time too. So let's start um, a bit like at the top, right? So at 17 years of age, you made a huge life choice that would dramatically change the course of your life. But before we dive into that, I just wanted to kind of backtrack and talk a bit about the time that preceded that event. And we are like, we just love hearing about the uh, about growing up in different countries, how the impact of different cultures, that lifestyle, that environment, how that um, imprints on you, you know, different values and uh, and such growing up. So what was growing up in China like and how does it differ from Canada based on your experience here? For sure. Um, it was definitely a very different kind of life environment, just mm-hmm. in the case, in a kind of like socialism slash like collectivism kind of world mm-hmm. um you you don't consider yourself as much you consider everyone as a group so growing up um you tend to have this mindset in that oh let's do something for the collective good for everyone and then mm-hmm. whereas in, in the western world it's more of an individualistic and um, people would consider themselves more and then their personal growth over like the good of those like everyone else so I think I definitely had like more of a mindset shift when I came here uh, in that I wanted to um, do things that are good for my own growth and um, it was a learning curve for me as well mm-hmm. yeah it's very evident too that that collectivist or like that community oriented attitude that you have really reflects itself in all the work that you've done so far and you know just were you like even back then, like, were you always this relentlessly driven person, which is these grandiose dreams? <laughs> I think so. I think yeah. um, it kind of, I've always been very interesting, like 
in terms of like intellectual curiosity mm-hmm. and like interested in many different th- things, different areas. Growing up, I would, um, I have like lots of different interests and hobbies in terms of like doing ballroom dancing, um, drama, improv, and then <laughs> kind of like all, all different roles. And I was also an athlete in like track and field. So right. nice. like, all these different things helped me build up my personality and then um, I, I really do learn through a lot of competitions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can definitely see that competitive aspect. I don't know if uh, if you guys are watching on video or not, but you can see um, a little NBA basketball hoop behind her in, in, in her video. So that's, that's really <laughs> cool. Are you a basketball fan? Um, a little bit. I, I watch sometimes, but yeah. Yeah. Who, who's your team? Who do you support? Um, Lakers. Lakers. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> we might have to end the interview. <laughs> um, David and I are a Raptors fans, uh, obviously being from the city of Toronto. So, but we'll, we'll, we'll allow a Lakers fan to, to stay on the podcast for today. Um, <laughs> cool. Um, so uh, another question I have kind of on that upbringing is how did that kind of prepare you for making that decision and what ultimately pushed you to make the choice to move at such an early age? Yeah, I would say um, it was it was very clear to me that I didn't want to um, kind of just follow the normal path as most people, where it was very like when, when I was in China, it feels like everything was on a manufactured line, that we're mm. manufacturers as a line of product, although we're students, but then everyone, like there's only one standard of good, and that is to get high marks, um, to pass the national exam, and then get to a good university, and then go on, like be successful for, with your life, which I think was a very narrow um, definition of success, but there's no other way around. Like there's no alternative, there's no like college, there's no kind of just like, it, there's only one way that is success. And um, I didn't want to kind of refine myself to um, such a narrow definition of success. I, I want to grow as a person as well. And I want to um, go discover and explore different areas. So that's when I decided that um, even though I was doing pretty well in the kind of traditional academic system in China, I wanted to explore a bigger world out there that where I'm able to make more social impact as well. So mm. yeah, and were your, were your parents supportive of that? Or did they have doubts like, oh, maybe you should just stay here, focus on school, you know, do the safe thing? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, that that was what they were proposing, saying that, no, you shouldn't. Um, <laughs> it's gonna not going to be good for you, blah, blah, blah. But, but then I, I decided to take it a try and then um, kind of insisted on going abroad myself. Love that. And like, look how far you've come now, right? Look at all the amazing things you've done, all the crazy people that you met along the journey. And now you've, uh, I mean, that one choice led you here today to our podcast. So on, so I, I, we just want to say thank you for making that choice. And, you know, looking back on that, would, uh, I mean, I'm sure it's been a crazy journey so far. And I'm sure you had doubts of your own as you were coming over to Canada at that young age. Looking back on it, like what advice would you give 17-year-old Iris just there, you know, just quaking in her boots with big dreams, ready to dominate Canada? I think I would tell myself to believe in myself more. Um, I, I know that sounds pretty cliche and I'm, I actually, I tend to have like pretty high conviction in my in myself and like mm-hmm. um, that's shown in basically me transitioning every, every internship um, to find the next sex. But then 
still like when I was um, choosing my major, I think I was like impacted uh, by my family's decision and I chose finance to study, which I was originally gonna study um, mathematics and more on the, in the STEM field. So I think that was um, kind of something that I probably would have changed if I were to choose a different major, but then everything still turned out pretty fine. Um, I think having a business background could, well, may or may not be like a better choice for me. So um, yeah, it's just like that little piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's good advice. I think college is always one of those things where hindsight is almost 2020. Um, but you can't, you can't really connect the docs looking forward. Like it's hard for you to say at that point, Hey, what would the best decision for what I end up doing be? But looking back, you can say, Hey, you know, this led me to this and I can see how this prepared me for this step. So, um, you know, there's, there's always a little bit of a apprehension there, but, uh, you know, obviously you've made the right choices. So, uh, happy to have you on now. Um, cool. So one thing I'm actually super interested in is that, uh, I'm pretty interested in the world of product and, um, that's something that I'm, I'm looking to get into kind of as I build my engineering skills as well. And so I, I really want to ask, you've been kind of around the map, uh, not just the geographic map, you know, with, with the move to Canada, but also like with the map of careers, you've been in VC consulting, trading, and eventually now product. Um, what sort of made you switch so much in your career and what eventually led you to product? Uh, you, you seem like you kind of had your eyes on it for a while, but then you kept exploring um, and so what, what kept you exploring and what, what eventually led you to that world of product? Yeah, for sure. So in the very beginning of my career, I, I really just wanted to see what is a field that fits with my personal passion and, um, also where I can have the most impact. So I first landed in trading and then doing like private equity, um, venture capital consulting, like all of these are very traditional and very thought after industries in finance and coming from a finance background, that was kind of like my first go-to um, in terms of what to explore. But then after trying those out, I think um, I don't feel as fulfilled. And I think there was something missing, which is more on the like social impact and purpose and the motivation side. And I wanted to do something where um, first I can really best utilize my kind of natural gift in terms of a collaboration leadership and then management. And then um, also being able to have the innovation side, because in a lot of traditional finance industry, innovation is not really um, always on top of things for, for people, because you can follow just like the regular procedure and then be fine. Um, and then while I was working in VC, I've talked to a lot of startup founders, and I really love talking to them because it's just very different from talking to people in finance, where people are just like, um, what is the ROI, like this number, but then for people in tech, they talk about like, oh, the next big thing, very exciting. So I think that's probably what draw me into um, the startup and the building product kind of world. So I, what I love about product is just uh, how much impact I can see myself having on an end user. And um, that is shown with like OpenMail where we were, were able to exactly see how much like impact we're able to have on the end user who uh, are enjoying this free, free food. And then that's like the one thing they look forward to every week. So I think that's kind of the, the um, what dr drove me to product. And I'm just like, uh, I'm, I'm curious too. So it, just tying it back to your choice to move to Canada at 17 as well. You know, during those periods of time when you're, you're experimenting, you're pivoting between different fields, like did that, does 
like does that idea of you being here alone in Canada by yourself have anything to do with like that driving force behind everything like I I had to like make something of myself now that I've come over here because you know like it can be a that that can be a paralyzing force as well you know like it's already risky enough having come here a lot of people would take the safe bet and just settle for the first choice that they make right did that tie into it like was that a driving force or like did that even come into play um, when you were making these choices at all yeah no I think I definitely had had advice um, from family members or people like relatives who said that like initially they were suggesting that oh you should study nursing because that's like the best way to immigrate to Canada and I'm like well I don't think I would be a good fit and also I think it's like come down to how much you value yourself like I I value myself very much and I think I should be doing something that I'm interested in even if I don't end up um, being able to like stay in Canada or whatnot I think I'll be able to contribute great values wherever I go so I think is that I, I know that sounds like the unsafe bet but in the long term it's actually the safer bet because you're purchased pursuing whatever you're passionate about and that makes you happier in the long term so I like to think about it in a in terms of less about job security less about like kind of those logistic and realistic problem but more about things that you're actually interested about and that will like that will give you uh, more values in the long term yeah it, it reminds me of the maslow quote too um we and i'm paraphrasing here but we must be everything that we are capable of being, or we will probably be unhappy for the rest of our days. You know, just like trying to maximize the potential that you have in you. And, you know, like all among all the other projects that you've, you've done so far that have driven you to that point, which of them do you feel has been the most impactful? Uh, I would say probably between open meal and Nutrify. So I think in terms of the impact, like for, new, for Open Meal, we were uh, working on how to build a three-sided marketplace to help um, first like the struggling restaurants during COVID and second, people who lost their job and are financial and food insecure. So um, I think that one was very clear and it's like social impact and um, how we are able to fundraise over $24,000 for these people to get free meals and for restaurants to gain revenue. And then for Nutrify, it was... Um, it was one of my like newer startup uh, that I founded. Um, it is more on the climate change and combining with food um, sustainability. So um, this one, I think it's more of a global issue and the impact we're having is really how we can empower individuals to make purchases uh, a re- in a socially responsible way and choosing those food that are more sustainable and healthier for both them and the earth. So. Yeah, I think both of them are pretty like social impact driven. Mm-hmm. Social impacts is a field I think is, is super cool and you've been involved so much in it. Um, how did you kind of take the plunge and get involved in social impact ventures? Because I know that, you know, with, with a lot of social impact projects, there's less of an obvious profit incentive, right? Um, and that that is one of the reasons that people are a little bit like scared to get involved in it, right? Um, it's not as safe as a bet as taking a big job at a big company or, you know, going into PE consulting. Um, and and I like how you mentioned, you know, um, you have to be self-aware enough to know that the riskier option is actually taking less risk because then you're not pursuing your passions. But in terms of the actual logistics behind it, 
how did you get involved in social impact? Like, where did you apply? Um, you know, who did you reach out to? How did you start these ventures? That, that type of thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, I would say for both of these ventures, I, it wasn't like, it wasn't like a job you apply for. It was more like um, I have a couple of friends who are interested in the same thing. And then we talk about it and then we're like, oh, let's start something together. Um, at least that's what happened for Open Meal. And I was like one of the early founding member. Um, and it was, and both of them actually came out of a hackathon because uh, I love attending hackathons because that's where like a lot of new ideas nice, happen. Yeah. And then you just like, oh, let's build something cool. And then uh, after, and but but then the the special one, special thing about both of these projects is that unlike most of the hackathon project that just like, that just like um, die after the hackathon, um, these two have a real social impact and social kind of problems that lie behind them that um, don't really die after the hackathon. So we decided to carry it forward into real life and um, actually make it a real reality. So that's what happened. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So looking back, if you had kind of like a blank check where you could you could have as much money as you want, go to fund, you know, one of these initiatives, uh, which initiative would you choose to fund and what would you do with that money? Yeah, I would say, um, considering the scope of impact, I would, I would fund Nutrify just because, um, climate change is truly a global problem and food is a huge contributor in that, in that game with, um, the high frequency of people purchasing food and the lack of education in the food space because people don't really know that um, the food they're choosing every day would have such a huge impact on the environment. So um, I really do um, everything I can to try to educate everyday people about um, the sustainability problem in food and how they can live a more sustainable life. Um, I have a quick question actually um, regarding the point you just mentioned about how a lot of hackathon projects just tend to die off, you know, like once that, that deadline approaches. Right. And uh, I, so I've taken on like a similar like social impact project recently with a couple of friends too, like similar story. We're just looking at tackle one of the UN social development goals. I just have like, I, I, like if you were to give like one piece of advice to kind of keep that fire alive for the long term, because it is, a pretty big undertaking like it's we're a small team and their entire like companies dedicated to solving some of these issues right what piece of advice would you give us to you know keep us driven and focused on that problem that we're tackling so that we can eventually build and uh, nurture our, our idea to fruition for sure um i think well First, you would definitely want to know your why um, for like why in terms of your personal why and why in terms of the project why. And I think that's usually what will keep you going and drive you forward. And uh, number two, in the in regards to what you mentioned about like, oh, big company are solving this, we're not going to be important. I think um, you would need to start realizing that everyone um, every every small things matters because they add up. So small consistent actions they will become something big. And in realizing that you don't like it doesn't matter where like whether big companies are doing it or small companies are doing it. Um, you and with your team as a collective force you will be able to make a positive impact. No matter how big the impact is, it's a positive impact. And I think it's it's that realization of like 
you matter, your team matter, the problem you're solving matter. So um, do not like do not ever um, kind of like feel like you're too small and you cannot really impact anything. Um, and I would say also for just any social impact project, there are a lot of funding out there. Uh, you can always apply for funding. So there's a newsletter called Fast Forward. Um, it's for like nonprofit funding and you can, yeah, you can definitely like look up for all those fundings and apply for them. Yeah, I, I, I love that. And like Fuad and I were smiling. It was just at the first point you mentioned because we are huge on starting with why. Like it's something that we've talked about countless times on this uh, on this podcast. So I just love to see that, you know, you having a, um, gone out and actually like built something tangible, how that you're, you're implementing that same philosophy as well just speaks volumes to that. So I love that. Um, I, I wanted to kind of pivot quick and just talk about uh, Google X real quick, because I'm fascinated in the work that they do. I'm fascinated in their moonshots philosophy. Uh, so I guess to start that off, like what about Google X attracted you as a potential employer? Yeah, I would say definitely um, the risk-taking attitude, because a lot of um, like the Google Xers are definitely known for um, taking a lot of risks and failing fast, failing quickly. And they actually, they never condemn mistake. They, I mean, they, they welcome and embrace mistakes because when it feel fast, feel, feel um, earlier than the normal, then it's like actually saving time and then proving the impact, uh, proving like prototypes faster. So um, I think that is an attitude to be adopted in life as well. Uh, so I really do admire how, how much they, they really believe in that principle and how much they implement it with a lot of the projects that they're, they're working on. Uh, I think I'm, I'm like super fascinated by Google X as well. So one thing I wanted to ask you is that you've done a lot of work, like sort of like outside um, of like this big company sphere, right? You've done a lot of like, you know, your, your own ventures, a lot of work in the nonprofit space. And then kind of in parallel to this, there's a lot of like big companies funding some of these ventures, right? So um, you mentioned like all these like um, social impact funds, but also like companies like taking it upon themselves, to, like be in this like sort of startup space and remodeling themselves as startups, right? Google is a huge company, but the Google X Ventures is sort of like, you know, their own version of a startup. So what do you think are the trade-offs between kind of starting a project for social impact or, you know, for like the something super, super innovative in the future, like everyday robot um, and doing that on your own versus doing it in sort of the umbrella of a big company. For sure, there's definitely pros and cons. So um, pros are very, very obvious. Um, at Google, you get um, a lot a lot of funding and then you kind of, it takes a, it's a risk, um, a lot of the startup risk because you you have funding. That's, <laughs> that's really uh, the biggest part. And then, yeah, and you also are able to use a lot of resources in within Google. Um, for example, like there's like Google Brain, Google Research, and then you're able to um, utilize the synergy between um, if you are to use some of those technologies. Um, and I guess hmm, just like as an employee, you get more benefit in terms of, and you would probably be paid higher amount because it's still under the alphabet umbrella. And you're still able to work on startup. It's like startup-like companies uh, because it's almost like an incubator and every project is their 
individual company um, that's solving huge social impact problem as well. Um, they also have projects um, addressing climate change and then addressing food problems, agriculture. So it's, it's a lot of uh, very interesting next level moonshot ideas. Um, and I guess for the cons, um, you would still need to like abide to Google kind of like rules and then things that are like regarding to like Google performance review or like things that only big companies have, um, but they're like kind of like rules implemented in a small company way. Um, but yeah, I, th I think it's like trade-off, so. I gotta ask like out of, without breaking your NDA, for sure, because you know we definitely respect those on this podcast. Um, we have our own, we have our own NDAs that we can't break as well. Um, a lot of a lot of shit on on Damien's personal life, but uh, anyways, um, without breaking your NDA, what are some of the most interesting and impactful projects coming out of Google Google X Labs that you know the everyday person might might not have heard about? Um, so there's there's one called Mineral. Um, they're working on kind of how to make food per, more food edible for humans. So that's like. Um, ad tech and one of the data points I saw there was like only one percent of the food or like plant I forgot it's either food or plant like on earth are edible by human and I was like well how are they gonna do like it, it just sounds really cool how they're able to increase the amount of um, food in agriculture and um, there I mean there was a recently failed project called Loon <laughs> if you've heard yes, of it I have. it's yeah it's the internet um, connect balloons that are flying in the middle of the sky and then giving like internet access to remote areas. So that was quite a shame, but, but it's okay. Like people learn from these failed projects and that's like a great example of how, well, I think it's pretty incredible like how, how much they were able to achieve. Um, and that really shows the kind of the human, human intelligence together, uh, what they can create. So. Yeah. And I think projects like that are super important and not just um, Google learning those lessons, but every company learning those lessons right now we have like products like Starlink um, that SpaceX is working on that was, you know, definitely inspired by a lot of the work that Loon did uh, in terms of connecting people across remote areas. So I think, yeah, like those, you need people to be taking those risks in order to drive the industry forward and that kind of thinking. Right. And I think Google X is the perfect combination of that because you have sort of the security of Alphabet and Google. Um, and, you know, having that secured funding, but also you have the ability to take those risks in like a secure kind of way. So, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. What kind of like considering that it's it's a very unique environment to be in. And, you know, admittedly, it's not like you can take a random person, throw them in that environment and expect them to flourish. So like based on or yeah, yeah, I guess based on like what you know, like what kind of person does it take to thrive in that environment? And as an addendum to that question, what was your competitive edge that helped you get selected as a future Xer? For sure. I would say you definitely need to work, um, be able to strive in unstructured environment because it is still very much like a startup and not everything is scoped and not everything is like in instructions. Sometimes people are still pretty scrappy in setting up processes and then you would need to take initiatives and do things yourself, um, kind of like, not everything is just like in place. Um, but I think that's also what where the interesting challenges come from because you'll be able to make that impact of like um, being able to start something 
as a new initiative or being able to set something up. So I think that actually um, is a challenge, but it's also something that gives you the opportunity to um, shine and then take that initiative. Um, I think what makes me stand out is probably first, I have like very entrepreneurial experiences. So uh, with those like projects, they actually help me a lot in terms of me telling my stories and uh, why I wanted to do all these things um, outside of like, because these are kind of still considered like volunteer um, work because they're like nonprofit. So it is purely out of my own like initiative and motivation to do them uh, because I wanted to create social impact. And then um, I think another thing that makes me stand out is also just the product building experience um, that I've gained from either the project or my previous internship. And I think lastly would probably be my kind of holistic skill set. And um, like previously, I've explored in many different industry and I've always gained different skill sets from each of the sector. So um, those really come in handy when I become a product manager because I'm able to um, collaborate with people um, uh, from like cross-functional teams. And then uh, I'm able to lead a team. I'm able to uh, understand different people's priorities and uh, their motivation uh, underlying and how I can be better, kind of in inspire people to do their best work. So um, follow-up question to that. Um, looks like there, there's a lot of opportunities for you to take advantage of that you know, innate desire for social impact at Google X. Um, and I don't know this is too early to, to ask, but where do you see yourself going next after this, right? Um, you've kind of reached like an, a stage where a lot of people consider like the pinnacle of social impact, right? Google X is working on some of the most important projects. Um, do you see yourself staying there for a few years, maybe taking those learnings and starting your own venture? Or um, I don't know, I, I love asking this question to people we, we think are in, you know, like really, really cool career stages because um, it's hard to connect the dots looking forward. So yeah, I'm just wondering, like, what are you thinking of your career and, and where, you, where do you want to take it next? For sure. I think um, definitely would still focus on like social impact and then working on projects that really connect to my personal passion. And maybe in the next five years, if I, if I do get to kind of like a higher position in, in a product org and then being able to see an overview of like how an entire company is run. And then I think it's more likely than I would go full-time on my own startup um, after being director of product or um, even in the C-level, uh, we'll see if in the five to 10 years. And after that, I, I think it's more likely that I will start my own company and work on a cause that really matters to me personally. Then, yeah, I think uh, we'll see how where, where that entrepreneurial journey would take me. For sure, excited to tag along on the journey and, and see where you end up next. Yeah, and so I have kind of like one more question on the uh, on the career or like topic, and this is something that I've been thinking about a lot recently because I want to be very intentional about how I guess like I start to structure the very early years of my career just so that I can keep this philosophy through and through everything, and I've seen so many people once they graduate they get end up getting their job and it could be at a really interesting, you know, innovative ca company. Right. But they, so many of them still just succumb to that daily grind of like the full-time um, job life cycle. And you, know, you wake up, you go to work, come back, you eat, sleep, and then rinse and repeat every day um, for the rest of your days. But 
you know, you still have this unyielding passion that keeps you being a trailblazer, you know, even like once you graduated, right? So what do you, and I think I know the answer to this based on how the conversation is going, but I'm just, I want to open the floor to you to, to, to get where your head's at, but what do you attribute that to? Like what keeps you going today? Yeah, very good question. I think that has been kind of like something my friends and every like everyone around me that's been wondering, you know, like, how do you like, how do you get so motivated to do all these things? Like, do you not get tired? I, <laughs> <laughs> I guess I don't. Um, well, I think it's, it's always like understanding, like, well, first of all, like we mentioned, understanding the why, um, why mm-hmm. I'm doing these and then I really celebrate the small wins a lot of ways. So um, sometimes like Nutrify just won like two, two, two to three like um, competition where we uh, were, were getting like funding and um, we celebrate those wins. And then we um, kind of like pat ourselves on the back. Like, yeah, we're, we're going in the right direction. So <laughs> I think that's like a part of it. And then also having really great teammates. Um, so huge shout out to my teammates at um, both Open Meal and Nutrify. Um, they're, they're really amazing people and um, people who care enough about a problem to also take um, their personal time out of their day to work on this. So I think those are things that definitely keep me moving. But then there's also that innate um, piece of kind of like my own drive um, of like just doing more and then being able to create social impact. So it's a bit harder to explain where that innate drive comes from. I think it's possible that it comes from where um, kind of some like my earlier experience um, in my childhood where I was, I think it's just that competitiveness (laughs) Um, sometimes also um, because I was an athlete and I also um, used to do like a lot of competitions and I always like tend to outperform during competitions and I want to kind of uh, like compete in sometimes, like in some sense, but it's, I mean, life is not a competition. So it's different in a sense, but then that also somehow um, keep me moving and then try trying to win more. <laughs> I, I actually have a follow up on that. So like I used to play a lot of sports too, and I would say I'm a pretty uh, competitive person in general. How do you balance that competitiveness with, you know, like life? Like life isn't supposed to be competitive. Life is supposed to be your version of a good life. You know, you want to do the things that matter to you and like keep you fulfilled. It's not necessarily against other people. Uh, but, you know, there's always there's always a little bit of competitiveness that, you know, naturally arises. So how do you how do you kind of find that balance in your life? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, whenever I work in teams, I'm not as competitive. Like I'm only competitive in like individual sports, I guess. Um, so I, I, I do recognize that in team, it's supposed to be like collaborative and then uh, it's like winning as a team. So I would basically bring in that <laughs> community aspect um, that also is in, kind of ingrained into the kind of Chinese culture where um, the community is, is is winning as a community is the best kind of win. So I think that is something that um, I definitely try to bring in as a cultural value and then um, into my work, um, into every project I do. Um, yeah, so I think you definitely need to be like cognizant of like, not just like competing everything just, just for the sake of winning. But then um, I think being competitive is not a bad thing because um, even sometimes I'm like competing with myself because I, I don't, I don't like comparing to other people. 
Um, and I usually don't. Uh, I usually just like compete with my own progress and where I've been and what I could have done better or uh, things that I can improve on. So, yeah. No, great answer. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's a, a great solution to that. You know, tempering that competitiveness is just competing against yourself. And, you know, um, it's one thing to compete in an individual sport, but when you're competing at the expense of your team, that's when I think it becomes a little toxic. So, yeah, definitely relate to that. Um, okay, so pivoting the conversation a bit, um damien do you want to take this uh sure so we uh this is a, a topic that uh both Fwad and i and like Fwad especially we can talk about this for hours on end but let's talk about books real quick um is is the hard thing about hard things still your favorite book <laughs> how do you know <laughs> we do snooping we do our due diligence <laughs> okay um yeah, I would say it's still one of my favorite book, um, just because it is, it is very true um, in the entrepreneurship life, mm-hmm. and uh, um, I, I guess I can relate to a lot of pain points in that. Is uh, okay. So first, uh, <clears throat> on that book, still, like, what lessons have you taken from it that you still actively use today? Hmm. Good question. I think in. I don't, I don't remember like the specific principles, mm-hmm. but definitely in terms of um, just how to be scrappy right. as an entrepreneur. Um, and that applies to um, being a product manager too, because there's not always going to be a solution to like a, an existing solution that you can just use. Um, you would almost like, sometimes it's, it's not about being the, um, like the, there's no like best solution. There's like only solution that work. Mm. So just like finding something that work um, is usually where you get started. Yeah. I was going to ask like what other books have, I don't know. I don't know if you've had time to continue reading because you've been doing so much, but uh, if you have, uh, what are some of the other books that have been on a kind of most influential in your life and, and sort of defining your, your mindset as an entrepreneur, but also as a person? Yeah, I have a couple of ones which are all product related. I guess I'm kind of like perfect that way. Um, I mean, they're they're all like pretty famous in the industry. Like crossing the chasm, uh, it taught me about how do you like what is really that thing that can get you to the major major adoption. And um, I also seen that in real life in terms of how Bitcoin is is able to gain major popularity. In that way and i was i was comparing some of those from the book so interesting um there's <laughs> there's hooked um it also talk about just like how to build a very habit forming product which are um <laughs> able to get people hooked and there's um zero to one from peter Thiel um talks about just like how startups is able to um kind of build from from that process so i'm also very very much resonate with that journey and which uh which book have you recommended most to people if people were somebody was to ask you like what, what should i start reading right now like what, what would be your answer to that i think it depends on what they're trying to get out of um if it's like right. general life if it's like just like how to be a better person i would recommend um give and take from adam grant that is a book that um basically it talks about there, there are like three types of people, giver, taker, and matcher. Um, and then I, I tend to, like after reading that books, it makes me more cognizant and that 
I, I do want to be a giver and then like, well, first, because I want to help other people, but then second, because in the long term, it's actually good for you. Like givers are usually the most successful people in an organization. And so I think it, it helped, like kind of like conveys you, um, convince you to become more of a generous and giving person. And it tells you the science behind it. And they've done lots of research into the data side of that. And um, like the, it's, it's interesting because the usually the worst performing people in an organization are the givers. And the most performing ones are also the givers because the worst performing ones are like the ones who um, spend all the time helping other people and they have no time doing their own work. But then the like most highest performing ones are the ones who like help other people and then these people end up helping them. So it's just, it's just interesting, yeah. So how do we all become givers? Because uh, I think I think that what we're getting at is being givers is probably the best. So what are some of the things that stood out to you for kind of implementing that in your life? Yeah, so I do a lot of mentorship in my own kind of like my life outside of um, work. And I, I try my best to help whoever reach out to me, which is really a lot of people. And uh, I think just like trying to be able to help them in like small ways. And I think um, because sometimes you never know what you said would be impactful to to this person. Sometimes to me, it's just like common sense. And I, I thought everyone knows about it, but people don't. And then you telling them about this like opportunity or um, this way of thinking, this um, way of like this mindset and it could change your whole life. Like I've had quite a few examples of like how people I've like briefly talked to over a coffee chat or people that I've um, able to answer some of their questions came back to me and be like, oh, what you said really stick with me. And then it helped me in this and this way. So um, whenever I like get um, feedback from that, I'm just like really, really happy because- That must be the best feeling. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Just, and currently I'm also doing um, a couple of like active mentorship relationship going on. So yeah, that's, that's my way of giving back. Yeah, so you're part of um, the One Salting community now, which is fantastic. Like they've provided so much value to um, so many people within the LinkedIn community already. So again, like thank you for doing that. And I just wanted to highlight what you something you just mentioned there, because um, I think it's such an important point to mention is that what may seem completely obvious to you may be completely amazing to somebody else, right? Like there's, uh, are you do you know the XKCD comics by any chance? No. Okay. Yeah. So it's just a, a really like fascinating comic series. And like, I think the person who makes it is a physicist or something like that, but they have a comic for like everything, like, like any situation you can think of. It just, it's amazing. But there's this idea that they uh, have in one of the comics is that there's a daily 10,000. So within the States, considering the population and the birth rate, there are roughly 10,000 people learning something new for the very first time. So that right there is an opportunity for you to not disparage them for not knowing what may be completely obvious to you. It's the unique opportunity for you to be the person to teach them that, that, you know, they get to like, they get to learn that from you. And then you get the reward of seeing their faces light up, right? Like, like imagine like learning about the, uh, like Coke and Mentos for the first time, right. And seeing that thing explode. 
Like now, if somebody showed that, I, I'd feel like a kid, like just like just overjoyed in a candy store seeing that. So I think that's just a beautiful thing. And like, it's such a, it's a unique opportunity for mentorship to like you as the mentor to be able to gain that kind of value in your life as well. Yeah, honestly. And when you look at like human history, like that's exactly how humans are able to survive is because we yes. share knowledge from generation to generation and we improve upon them. So I think mm. if you implement that to your own life, um, that would be great. Just like sharing knowledge, sharing is caring. So. Mm-hmm. Standing on the shoulders yeah. of giants, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We love, we love saying that quote here. Um, <laughs> cool. So pivoting the conversation again a little bit um, from the topic of mentoring to the topic of traveling. Um, and we talked a little bit about it in the beginning, but what lessons have you learned about yourself as you've kind of traveled to so many different places? Like what's been, I don't know, kind of keeping you going and, and how, what about you has changed as you, as you've gone to so many different countries? Yeah. Um, I would say my global mindset is definitely really helpful in like connecting to different people. Um, I, I have traveled to, I think one, two, three, four, like four continents around the world. Um, And it's, it's definitely like wherever I go, I'm always amazed by like local culture and local way of people, like either they, how they say things, how they do things and uh, what they worship. And just like seeing that variety of um, human behaviors is really fascinating. So that makes me more understanding, more empathizing with like what other people might be going through because like I've seen it, I've seen all these different kinds of scenarios and I understand that things happen like, or like things could change in, in so many different ways. And uh, it also helps me to be way more calm in a crisis response mode. Like whenever something really, really bad happens, I'm almost like, always like, let's calm down. It's okay. I've seen it. So <laughs> it's just like, um, I think it helps in terms of um, being able to, react fast in, in a in different situation as well. But then more, it's, it's, I guess it's more about like the culture and understanding and then seeing the varieties in human race. And then I think, oh, and that also really helps in like building products because if you haven't seen different kinds of people, you wouldn't know that this kind of users even exist. And um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, in, in tech, we get so kind of caught up in the idea that we are the user where where you have this idea that everyone's a power user everyone knows how to you know like do the shortcuts and like figure out like what what exactly the app does and then i'm always humbled when i talk to my mom and i try to explain something to her and she doesn't understand any of the things i'm doing she's like i i had no idea that was a button uh things like that and it really it really forces you to recenter who you're building products for right are you building products for you know the top one percent of product minded people who read product books or are you building product for real people, right? Um, and yeah, I think the international kind of influence is really, really important in that. Um, and then, yeah, kind of a follow-up question on that. Um, what has been your favorite destination that you've traveled to so far? Um, and uh, wh- like, why why was it that place? Yeah, um, good question. I, I would say um, probably either... So I, I once went on like a road trip um, all the way from San Diego up to San Francisco. 
And then um, I think in that, in that all the way, it was, it was quite a fascinating trip. And I feel like it's unfair to say like a place is the best place because it matters a lot with like who you travel with and um, where, like what kind of things. You For sure. So, um, but then I would want to give credits to San Diego, I think, because I, I had just like such a great time um, there with my friends. And then uh, I was also doing like couch surfing. So we had like very kind host who hosted the, the best yeah for two nights for free and then um he was also like a lighting um lighting artist so his whole house was like filled up with like different lights and then it was just like fascinating to see different that's so cool <laughs> i know yeah like it, it's just like those life experience that um, makes me really um, miss the different kind of human interactions i had yeah. Okay. So here's a, a bit of a fun question then, because like, especially considering you've like done all of this stuff, been everywhere. If you could cross any one item off of your bucket list right now, what would it be? I want to say um, either bungee jumping or skydiving. <laughs> um, See, yeah. no, I, man, because this is like, I agree. Like, I, I would love to go skydiving and I don't know what it is. Like somehow to me like jumping out of a plane with a parachute on your back just it sounds safer to me than just tying yourself to this piece of string and jumping off like a bridge with it. like i <laughs> i am so terrified of bungee jumping but i would love to go skydiving though <laughs> i don't know if this is like something that other people share but oh, this absolutely. is something that i yeah like I, I don't know i just see but people going bungee jumping i'm like yo you're one thread snap away from <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And plus, like in, in all the bungee jumping commercials and stuff, they always show somebody going through like a ravine, and there's like a canyon, and like I'm like, what if you hit a rock? Like, if you're at least just falling straight, like you'll down impact. You don't have to get like hit by a rock and then like have like half a limb hanging off you for like ten seconds before you die, right? So <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm saying, bro, like it, it's like kudos to the people that can do that. But are you are you like do you consider yourself like an, a bit of an adrenaline junkie, or do you like chasing the thrill like that? I think I, I like tracing the thrill, but I'm also not like, I'm not like looking for thrill in like everyday life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good balance to have for sure. Um, cool. So we are getting to time. So we want to leave some time for our final question. Cause I feel like you have some really, really good insight. Uh, and so the traditional final question that we ask on this podcast is um, if you could put any one message on a billboard that would reach millions, even billions of people, uh, what message would you put on that billboard and why? And keep in mind, you can stratify this target audience to whoever you want, or you can just keep it open. Yeah. So I, I want to <laughs> probably use it to um, kind of educate people on um, the, the, the sustainability problem in food, um, just because that's something I'm working on right now and an area that I'm super uh, just like intrigued by. And uh, so there's one data point in in that like if all of us globally reduce our meat consumption by half, that is equivalent to um, taking away the entire transportation industry for nine years. So that is like all transportation, like planes, cars, whatnot, like and that's just how, wow, how impactful. Yeah. And you you don't have to even take away meat; you just reduce it by yeah. half. That's the impact it will have. So. I think the reason I wanted to say that is just because 
a lot of time people think that one meal doesn't matter, one individual doesn't matter. That is true. Um, that's why like kind of climate change is a global collective fight. It's, it's everyone's effort together. So yeah, just do not, do not think that your individual action don't matter because they add up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's why it's so important too for like for to get as many people advocating behind that initiative as well. Because if the problem gets when too many people share that same mindset, like oh, I, like my actions aren't going to matter anyways. But <clears throat> the problem is that it's not just you; it's you and like the X number of other people across the world who share that same mindset. So, you know, it just you might think that it's just inconsequential in the grand scheme of things, but like you said before in the podcast, like every little bit adds up. Yeah, and. Also the ripple effects too, like maybe your your, mm-hmm. your family see you're doing that, they're gonna do the same. And sometimes people always like um, underestimate the amount of influence they can have in their own community. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a really good point actually because my whole family's <laughs> vegetarian except for me. So oh. I guess the ripple effect needs to get to me too. But no, yeah, um, I think that's a really, really good message. Um, Anyways, um, Iris, this has been a very beautiful conversation. We want to respect your time and, you know, maybe give you some time back at the end as well. So uh, before we part, first off, thank you so much for coming on. This is this is great. Um, is there anything you would like to promo? Where can people find you um, if they're listening? Anything like that? For sure. Um, people can always find me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active there. And um, I'll send you guys my link tree so you can post it on a podcast too, which would contain all of my social and um, the link for Nushify, Open Meal, and, um, and also my career coaching link if anyone's interested in career coaching. So yeah, that's, that's all. But honestly, it has been such a great conversation with you both and um, really fun talking about all these topics. Absolutely. We're excited to see where the rest of your journey takes you. And, uh, you know, it's only, it's the, it's to the, to the moon, to the stars from here. So excited to see, uh, what's to come, but again, thank you, Iris. And, uh, yeah. Ciao. If you liked the episode, follow us on Spotify and give us a review on Apple podcasts. Our website was built by face solutions, logo designed by Charmeni and music by Wonderly music. Thank you for listening. Think you got it? Nah, we're on the next iteration.